What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! Some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. Must be football season, everybody. We got three teams reporting for training camp this week. The Pittsburgh Steelers, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Super Bowl champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's exciting. It's getting closer and closer. And here to talk about it, and today's topic, if blank happens, then blank, are the two analysts that uh, somebody dubbed Double D's before the show, which I thought was very inappropriate, but we're going to throw it out there anyway. Dave and Dan, good morning, guys. Happy football season. It's not inappropriate. When I think of Double D, I think of the logo for Double Dare, the old school Nickelodeon game show hosted by Mark Summers. It's only inappropriate if you're an Azer and you have those kind of... Right. Like, where's your mind at, Adam? Come on. (laughs) My mind is almost always on Nickelodeon shows. I have the guts to make inappropriate jokes at the top of the show. Uh, yeah, so anyway, today we're doing if blank happens, then blank. So if uh, Trey Lance takes over a quarterback early, if Justin Fields takes over a quarterback early, then Allen Robinson will blank. George Kittle, blah, blah, blah. We'll get into that. If Travis Etienne isn't as good as we think he is, then blank. I wanted to start with one from the listeners. Rick says, if Damian Harris scores eight touchdowns, He's a top 12 running back. If Damian Harris scores eight touchdowns, he's a top 12 running back. My thought was, that's that's it? Just eight? So I didn't agree with that one, Dan Schneier. What did you think? Yeah, you're spot on because it doesn't factor in that he will likely still have no role in the passing game, so he doesn't have those points coming to him. And we had a situation last season where Todd Gurley scored nine touchdowns, and he finished what, Adam? I think you dug this. He was the RB29? Uh, right around there. He was outside right. the top 24. 29 in PPR. And J.K. Dobbins scored nine touchdowns, and he was 28. Yeah, so I don't think these are a guarantee here. And I'm not so sure the Patriots are going to be in too many game scripts where they're going to be milking the clock and running a lot of Damian Harris down the stretch. I don't see the volume there as well. So I think the eight touchdowns might be most of his points. They only had five games last year where a running back had 15-plus carries. But the thing is, Harris was that running back in four of the five games. So I think they like him. I'm I'm going back to what I've said before and what everybody says, is that if Cam Newton's the quarterback, it's going to be hard for Damian Harris to rack up short yardage touchdowns. Cam's yes. good at that still. So if he's getting eight touchdowns, are, are, are we talking about a lot of runs from like seven yards out, 12 yards out, 20 yards out? 
Is he still going to be in a position to get 15-plus carries a game? Can't say he touches as much because, he's like you said, Dan, what's his role in passing downs? There could be a way where he... No, I was going to say I was going to say there could be a way that he could score eight touchdowns and still finish outside the top twelve, but I actually think it's it's more like if he gets eight touchdowns, that means he's playing a lot and he's there's probably not a lot of Cam Newton on the field, and yeah, Damian Harris would be in a position to be a top twelve running back then. Yeah, I just eight doesn't seem like a lot to me, but there was one running back. So in full PPR, I feel like it's going to be hard for anyone to think of him with top 12 upside. But in non-PPR, just straight up non-PPR, old school fantasy football, there was one running back who scored eight on the nose last year, eight touchdowns, and not rushing touchdowns, total touchdowns, and finished in the top 12. That running back was, any guesses? He had six rushing and two receiving touchdowns. Hmm. He was RB11 in non-PPR and RB9 in full PPR. He is in the NFC East. Is that, no, he is reporting Gibson. to training camp it's this not week. Gibson. Gibson had double-digit touchdowns. Reporting to training camp this week. Oh, Ezekiel Elliott. Yes. Uh, man, this is like Fantasy Jeopardy all over again, Dad. I was so bad at Fantasy Jeopardy. I got comments on how bad I was. Yeah, people were worried about you. Fantasy Jeopardy. Don't ever play again. But uh, Zeke had um, 338 receiving yards and 52 catches, so that certainly helped his cause. Uh, yeah, we, Harris isn't getting that. We had one from Schrager. If Amari Rogers finishes as a top 24 wide receiver, I will order <laughs> 10 pounds of raisins for for Adam Azer. <laughs> I already had a pow- uh, an ounce of raisins today. One Why box. are you a big raisins guy? Like Raisins are not that good, and they're not that good for you either. They're fine. They're grapes. Yeah, grapes are not that good for you. It's, they're high in sugar. Like There's nothing... It's natural sugar. Raisins. It's natural sugar. It's fine. They're good carbs. Ten <laughs> pounds of it won't hurt you, Adam. <laughs> they're okay in trail mix at best. They're great. They make trail mix. They're good in cookies. Put them in cookies. I'll put them in. Don't I, ruin your cookies. I put them in cereal today. Cheerios and raisins today was was excellent. Thank you, Ben. You're on. Ten pounds of raisins. And I've got another bet after your promo read. So hit your promo read, and I'll make a little yes. bet. Very, very important. If you're not nominating raisins for some type of food category, please help us on Podcast Awards. We are nominated. We are finalists in the sports category of the People's Choice Podcast Awards. So you've helped us out in so many ways throughout the years. Help us out again and nominate us. Make us a finalist. Uh, or we are finalists, sorry. To, but get like, you know, What's the right way to say this, Ben? The final round of finalists. The final round, exactly. Yeah, there you go. So go nominate FFT, podcastawards.com, slash app, slash sign up, and then toggle down to sports. And we've got a link to that at the top of the episode description. And if you don't ever read the episode description, by the way, I put time codes in that'll help you navigate if you just want to skip around to some of the content. It doesn't have all of the content, but it has kind of the main subjects but anyway podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up nominate fantasy football today we want to win the podcast awards in the sports category this year and we need your help adam if we win everyone who goes on this podcast i'll order them pizza adam's choice from whatever place we want but also three listeners full pie really three listeners pizza let's win this but it's going to be from adam's choice Adam's choice. Dave can have some input, but it'll be Adam's choice. <laughs> Most of these listeners are going to be states where they don't know how to make pizzas. So then what are we going to do about that? 
There are some websites that aren't our sponsors, so I won't mention them. I got to tell you, that is the most snobby, elitist New York, New Jersey thing. That's a correct take, and you know it, Adam. It's 100% true, but I'm not the one who's going to say it. You said it. All right. Say that one. Listen, uh, your emails at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. I got a great fantasy football idea. I'm calling it an awesome fantasy football idea from Michael. Michael, his his league, um, they play against the field for as many weeks as they need to so they'd never have one opponent play another one twice. So if there are 12 teams and they have uh, 14 regular season weeks, that's 11 games, and then you need three weeks where you play the field. And when you play the field, the top six scores go 1-0. and The bottom six scores go 0-1. It's a very simple way. What did you say? Apex scoring, correct? It's a, essentially apex. Yes, sure. Okay. So, <laughs> right. yes, apex. That's what I apex. meant. Yes, apex. Uh, so, so there are leagues that do this every week. There don't are do it every that week. Do this every week, and they have head-to-head matchups every week. Right? Don't yeah. do it every week. This is a great way. Do it for three weeks. If you have a fourteen-week regular se- regular season schedule, that means eleven games where everybody's playing one opponent once. This makes it so that you don't have the unbalanced schedule where you might play one team twice, and that team might be the best in the league, or might be the worst in the league, or might be like Will Brinson's fantasy baseball team. He hasn't set his lineup since week one, and he's three and twenty-five. You don't want to. be... <laughs> That's not a joke. <laughs> No, I know that's, no, that's not, not when it comes to will. That sounds. That's right. I'm doing this in the podcast league. However many weeks it takes to do uh, all play, basically, where the top half gets a win, and the bottom half gets lost, so that we only play each other once. I think it's a great idea. I've had some great ideas from the listeners. It's time to stop talking about them and put them into action. Great playoff ideas. This is a regular season idea. I love it. Apex. Why not take it a step further though and do it every week, like Dave mentioned? It was I think my. It's I did that once was my least favorite. I hated it. There's nothing personal. No, no, no. You have two matches. You have a match. No, no, no. I hated this. It was too much for every week, but I love it when it's only a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you have yeah. a match plus that. So you go either 2-0, 1-1, one or 0-2. You never want to know. Yeah. Yeah, you could do that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Apex. Okay. Just don't do a little in your league. No. Um, all right. Let's do some news Most and Most people notes. aren't listening to the podcast. <laughs> Tom Brady. We got got diehards listening to our pod. Tom Brady played the entire season with a torn MCL, and he still threw 40 touchdowns and finished his QB7. We've talked Mm -hmm. about this a lot, but pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, New Orleans is going to be without defensive tackle David Onyemata for the first six games of the season. They did miss him for one game last year, and it didn't really affect them much. But this was uh, the team that gave up the second fewest fantasy points to running backs. Their first six games are Green Bay who, ironically, that was the one team that did not that Onyemata missed last year, and Aaron Jones had an okay game. Green Bay, Carolina, New England, the Giants, Washington, and Seattle. Uh, so that's a big deal. He's a very good player. They don't have Sheldon Rankins anymore. So we'll see what their run defense looks like. It's year after year. It's one of the best. We'll see what it looks like for the first six games. Uh, I was reading Bill Barnwell's story over the weekend on ESPN.com, and he, he noted that the Packers scored a touchdown on 80% of their red zone trips last year. That was the highest since 2001, according to ESPN. Uh, and I think that's just when they started you know, tracking it. That's not even—it could be the highest in, longer than that. But 
basically 20 years. You know, the Packers had the, the most successful season inside the red zone. Last year was just a very successful red zone season to begin with. From 2001 to 2019, only 12 teams had a red zone touchdown rate higher than 70% from, 20, 20, from 2001 to 2019. Last year, six teams did it. Green Bay, Tennessee, Cleveland, Seattle, New Orleans, and Minnesota. And what I thought, Dave, you might find this interesting. Mm. What Bill Barnwell noted was that four of the six teams that scored on scored a touchdown 70% or more of the time in the red zone, four of the six teams operated out of the same Kubiak slash Shanahan style attack. I'm just reading here from Bill Isn't Barnwell. Isn't that just basically West Coast offense? It's a, it's a, it's a wide zone based offense. It's a little different. Sure. It's funny how Shanahan's offense isn't in this list. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and the Seahawks are now getting... The Seahawks were one of those six teams, but now they are also going to have that same style of offense, at least based on their coordinator, Rams assistant Shane yeah. Waldron, taking over as their offensive coordinator. So Jets will have that too. Right. Yes. Yeah. There you go. All right. So I don't know. So that was interesting. It's a good read. Check it out. Not a lot of really interesting notes this week, I guess. That's about to change. Uh, but Houston, uh, with training camps opening, Houston rookie wide receiver Nico Collins should have a chance for a lot of early snaps, according to the Athletics' Aaron Reese. Is he on anyone's radar? Anyway, drafting uh, Nico Collins? He was on my radar with one of my last few picks in the fishbowl. And obviously, he's uh, probably in that late second to third round range in rookie-only drafts. Big dude, not necessarily a burner, but a guy who can win some 50-50 balls in Houston. Yeah, he's someone I did a draft profile on. He's actually an interesting prospect because he cut a lot of weight before the Senior Bowl as kind of try to reinvent himself because he missed. He opted out of the 2020 season, and he right. looked a lot different at the Senior Bowl than he looked at Michigan. He he was quicker, he was faster, so he might be someone that can be a lot different now that he has taken 10 pounds off of his frame. So he's someone I'm keeping an eye on, but I think it could take time, and I'm not expecting too much from a passing game led by Tyrod Taylor anyway. Who was your last pick in the Scott Fishbowl? Do you remember? Yes. Chad yeah. Henney. <laughs> really? My first pick was Patrick Mahomes. Okay. That makes sense. Mine was Dwayne Eskridge, I believe. Oh. Mine was Tutu Atwell. Similar type idea there. Yeah. Malcolm Brown. He might start. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. He wasn't available. He was fun way before my last pick. Schrager for the win. Nice one, Ben. Wait, actually, Eskridge was second last. I took Le'Veon Bell with the last pick. Mm, all right. I'd rather, I'd rather have Henny. Someone's got to design Bell when an injury happens. You're gonna, right. you're gonna. That, that's true. You're gonna drop him for a kicker at some point. Yeah. Uh, did, did you guys take kickers in the fishbowl? I, I didn't. Did. You did. I took one, one kicker, but I took a kicker. I, I took two really, <laughs> <laughs> two really early. <laughs> for those no, of you, I figure there will be kickers on the waiver wire if I need one. It will be to yeah. give me my solid ten points. Round 15. 10's a lot for a kicker. Round 15? You took a kicker? First kicker off the board. Oh, my Who gosh. Go Who do you project to be the Jake best? Koo? Young Way Koo. You think he's going to repeat? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Apex. Oh, yeah. Out. <laughs> All right. A couple more notes, guys. Adam Schefter says the Eagles are in the best position to trade for Deshaun Watson, but he's not sure when Houston might be ready to trade Deshaun Watson. And J.D. McKissick bulked up. He wants more of a role. He wants to at least prove that he's capable of more of a role. He was the number 17 running back in full PPR, number 32 in PPR. 
and he had 80 catches. So obviously a huge difference there. He had 85 carries and 80 catches. He was tied for second on the team with, I believe, 110 targets. By the way, 24 of his 80 car- 85 carries came without Antonio Gibson. Um, uh, all right. Yeah. So I have to apologize for something I did in Fantasy Jeopardy last week. I'll do that later in the show. Let's get to the reason why we're here. If blank happens, then blank. Four of these are from Dan. Three are from Dave. One is from me. If blank happens, then blank. Dan, your first one about the Washington football team. Go ahead. Do you need me to read it? I need you to read this one. No problem. (laughs) If Ryan Fitzpatrick proves more willing to create big big passing plays than Alex Smith, then... The Curtis Samuel breakout arrives in 2021. Yeah, I think this one is pretty self-explanatory. It goes into a little bit of what you just talked about with McKissick, why I'm really down on him. You know, a lot of what he generated from a fantasy standpoint was due to Alex Smith. That whole offense was not how Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator, wants to operate that offense. He doesn't want constant checkdowns to the running back. He wants an offense that will be a little bit more vertically attacking at times. And Ryan Fitzpatrick in his past has proven willing to throw the ball into tight windows and take chances in the intermediate and downfield area. What did we see from Curtis Samuel two years ago? Not as much last year, obviously, with Teddy Bridgewater running that offense. But two years ago, we saw a player who could get open vertically often, and he just couldn't didn't have the quarterback to get him the ball there. I'm not saying Ryan Fitzpatrick is some beast in the vertical passing game at this stage of his career but he can get he's willing and he can get the ball out there and Samuel can create vertical separation in addition to everything else he can do underneath so I think that they're going to make concerted effort to get him the football anyway after signing him to that contract and I really think he's going to have a really underrated season this year for Scott Turner and help open up that offense I think it's it's definitely possible because that's what the current coaching staff remembers from Curtis Samuel, and they just couldn't connect with him and Cam back two years ago. But they have to take notice of what he did last year. And I, I wonder just, do they take enough notice to say, okay, not only can we use this guy in the short area passing game, can we give him carries? Can we give him a couple of jet sweeps every week? Right. And then can we also have him play downfield a little bit more? I don't, I don't know off the top of my head how much he played last year in Carolina, like what his snap percentage was from game to game. But I would, I would imagine that if his snap percentage is closer to 100 this year, then he's going to see those opportunities. I still have a hard time believing he's going to match the 13 point whatever PPR points he had last year, but he'll be better than the 10.1 he had in 2019. I'll Good say was number about- three PPR receiver. And maybe like a high-end one in non-PPR. About 70%, roughly, snapshot. I'd love to see that go a little higher. You know, you're not going to see them on the field when they go to jumbo packages or, you know, 22 personnel, something like that. But he'll, he should play a lot. They, they know what they're getting with him, and they probably like what they saw in film last year. Put it all together and, you know, give this guy a lot of opportunities in the offense. Let's look at the last two years of this offense. That's 2020 with Washington and 2019 with Carolina. The bad news is 20th and 25th in scoring. 20th for the Panthers in 2019, 25th in 2020 with Washington. The good news is 5th in plays with Carolina, ran the 5th most plays. Last year, Washington ran the 8th most plays. And the better news is very pass-heavy. Despite having Antonio Gibson, despite having Christian McCaffrey, they were second in pass attempts. They had a horrible defense in 2019. Second in pass attempts with Carolina. Ninth in pass attempts and 25th in rush attempts last year with a good defense in Washington. Mm-hmm. So, And they throw and a ton Alex of the Smith and Kyle Allen as your quarterbacks both years. I mean, that's the big, the big one here. Right. 
Uh, all right. And we, if you want to hear more about Curtis Samuel, we did a profile with him on FFT and five with Jacob Gibbs, who is also pretty optimistic about Curtis Samuel. I think for me, guys, you don't have to pay up for him. I mean, he's going 97th overall. But um, we'll see if there's some helium attached to that, as the fantasy <laughs> industry likes to say. I just don't know. I thought you said that because Ryan Fitzpatrick, we've nicknamed him, or Persco nicknamed him the helium balloon. Right. For his, his uh, lofty deep balls that seem to hang in the air for a couple extra seconds. And he does not have a high-pitched voice. But, uh, yeah, I just I don't know how much faith I have in the Washington offense. And I don't really have a ton of faith in Ryan Fitzpatrick keeping his job because he just rarely does. So that's kind of I mean, I, that's, I just don't know how much to invest in this offense. The good news is there are only two players that you have to take early in McLaurin and Gibson. Right. Yeah. All right. Next up, next up. And as much as we can talk up Samuel, McLaurin's the one who's going to definitely play right. close to 100% of the snaps and definitely be the number one target. And that's the other thing. definitely get downfield throws. That's the yeah. other thing. It's like all I ever hear about is how Ryan Fitzpatrick just peppers his number one receiver. Right. And, and how he doesn't throw to running backs. And yet I'm supposed to buy into a breakout for Antonio Gibson because he's going to get more work in the passing game, even with J.D. McKissick, who had 80 catches last year. And I'm supposed to buy into a Curtis Samuel breakout. And I just don't know how it's all going to happen. I don't know how it's all going to happen. Well, it definitely starts by having, you know, top 10, good pace of play, which you said they have, and good pass-heavy games. Not, not game scripts, but game plans. Yeah. That's a good start. Because those passes have to go somewhere, and they're not going to go to the running backs. I'm with you. So they got to go somewhere else. Well, no, not- I, I don't know. Some of them are going to go to the running backs. I mean, you don't have Gibson I and McKissick so. and, and not throw to the running backs, right? I just don't see Fitz as a huge, like you mentioned, he has no history of throwing a lot to the running backs and checking down in those spots. La- last so year he did. plays for the running backs in the passing game, of course, but a lot of those those receptions last year for McKissick were just truly Alex Smith just quickly going to that check down. Right. It's not going to be that frequent, but yeah. Fitzpatrick threw to Gaskin he did. a decent amount of the time last year. All right, next up, Dave, A.J. Green. What'd you, you got an A.J. Green one. If A.J. Green's 2020 was an anomaly, then Kyler Murray could very easily be the QB1 in fantasy, and DeAndre Hopkins, based on his ADP, could be a bust. The second part is really much more interesting to me. So let's say mm-hmm. A.J. Green is good, and he was very good in, in 2018. He missed 2019, but... Yeah, the ankle. And- yeah. He just hasn't been the same since. Yeah, and he hasn't really been the same since the he got hurt midway through 2018, but his first eight games, he was on pace for nearly 1,400 yards and 12 touchdowns. He was a star. Um, yeah, so let's say he bounces back. I mean, he's the same draft class as Julio Jones, right? We still think Julio's great. Let's say he bounces back. Why can't Hopkins still give you a second-round value? I think Hopkins is being drafted for his volume and the target share that he's going to have and the hope that he has well over 100 receptions, especially since they're going to play one more game this year. But if A.J. Green is good, then I, he's certainly going to take volume away from Hopkins, not to mention Rondell Moore and everybody else in that offense. And I, I think it would hurt Hopkins. He could be a number two receiver for sure. Like I'm talking like top 15-ish, but we're drafting him to be a top five guy. And I, If A.J. Green is on fire, then... Hopkins won't get there. Mm-hmm. Are you actively um, concerned about this, though? No, not really. I'm just giving you an if. Yeah. Just a what if. I'm also thinking, like, I'm less so sure that AJ Green has enough left in the tank after all those lower body injuries to be that. But I think the second part of Dave's 
what if there is, is interesting to me because a lot of the reason why DeAndre Hopkins was so good in fantasy last year was that first half volume. I mean, they were just targeting him so much in the short passing game. And I'm still waiting for the reason why I don't buy into the Kyler Murray number QB one overall as much as I'm still waiting to see this Cliff Kingsbury offense impress me because right now it looks like he doesn't know exactly what to do with the players he has and Kyler Murray and all of those receivers because that offense was a lot of quick hitting stuff a lot of short passing game really based up. It was at its best in the running game, which people don't think of um, using, you know, Murray to kind of get an extra edge in the running game, get an extra blocker there with the defense forced to commit players in different spots. So I'm still waiting for that passing game to have more of a vertical presence at all uh, before I buy into Kyler Murray's potential QB one overall. And I don't know if they're going to dial that up. Like you, 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 you watched Rondell Moore play at Purdue how often was he running deep? He was a catch and run guy in short and intermediate routes. And, and he, AJ yeah. Green's not a burner anymore. And Hopkins can do it. I just don't think it's like the number one thing he can do. Spot so, on. I, yeah, I think Christian Kirk. No, I mean that's. I mean Kirk could do ball. it, but there's a chance he's he he's not even on the roster. To be honest, oh, if be someone surprising. comes looking for a trade, they they might oh, deal him. They trade him. Okay. Uh, next up. We got uh, we got several more here, if thens. But first, I want to tell you about tomorrow night, big night. We'll be we'll be live on the Fantasy Football Today YouTube channel at 7 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday night with a mock draft, and we're giving away a spot in our next mock draft. So join us at youtube.com slash fantasy football today. We got some great industry guests coming on youtube.com slash fantasy football today. And again, we're giving away a spot in our next mock draft so you can draft against our experts. Hit the subscribe button on the channel and we will see you tomorrow. YouTube.com slash fantasy football today, 7 p.m. Eastern. That is Tuesday night. We had to take a Tuesday night off from you getting beat down in poker, Adam. Right. Actually, I'm taking the entire Tuesday night off. I will not be on the mock draft tomorrow, but yes. Uh, I will not be losing in poker either. That's the good news. Um, so your next one, Dan, is about the Bears passing game. And it's not an if, it's a when. When, not if, the Bears turn to Justin Fields. Then Allen Robinson is a top six wide receiver, similar to the Herbert Keenan Allen effect. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, my thoughts on the first part, when, not if, is just... Everybody goes through this every season, like, oh, this team wants to let this rookie come into his own. Maybe during the bye week, maybe week eight, week 11. I remember when the Giants drafted Daniel Jones and still had Eli Manning on the roster. Everyone told me and that I was crazy to say that Daniel Jones is going to play in the first half of the season. Everyone's like, it's going to happen after the bye week in week 10. Trust me, I know this. And I'm like, well, after the bye week, I, th- I believe they had like three straight road games against really tough opponents. And I was like, I don't really think they're going to throw him in against a tough defense on the road for his first start. And little do we know, he comes in right away within the first three weeks of the season. So it seems to happen more often than people think that these rookie quarterbacks come in early, especially if the team is struggling. Or even in the Giants' case, I believe they weren't even totally struggling at the time. They just wanted to get their rookie quarterback going. They believed he was ready. Everything that I've seen in Justin Fields' profile says he's going to be ready. And so that takes me to the second part, which is – Rookie quarterbacks like to lock on to one target, and Allen Robinson, especially a target who can get open in the intermediate and quick passing game. And Allen Robinson's one of the best route runners in the NFL and is one of the best receivers at creating quick separation with his feet and with his footwork. So I think he'll immediately be a quick, uh, quick and easy target for Justin Fields in that offense, somebody who he goes to over and over again. And we saw last year what that kind of volume can do for a player in Keenan Allen. So I think we'll see a similar effect when Fields comes on the field. I think once it's clear – 
that uh, that Fields looks like he knows what he's doing, and that's maybe we read about that from training camp reports. Maybe we see it in the preseason. Probably both of those things. Then you can start to make the you can move forward with the assumption that Robinson will get Fields as his quarterback for the majority of the year, and that Fields will do a great job with Robinson. We've seen Robinson. What is it now? The past couple of years, what have his numbers been when he's in Chicago? Sixteen point one PPR points per game last year. That's with Trubisky. And Foles, the year before that, it was 15.5 PPR points per game. More importantly, over nine targets per game each of those past two seasons. Chicago likes to dial him up. Fields, and and honestly, maybe Dalton, too. Dalton isn't worse than Trubisky. We've had that debate before. I think we can agree that Fields has potential to be better than both of those quarterbacks. But you look at the Bears' schedule, where do you fit in Justin Fields? Because week one is at L.A., that's tough. Like I can kind of understand why they wouldn't want to rush him out there unless he was just, you know, wonderkind. He's just unbelievable. After that, at Cincinnati at home, that would be a great time. Week two, put him in there. At Cleveland in week three, I think that's going to be a tough game. And then Detroit, Vegas, Green Bay. There, there are matchups that's down it. the line that's they can the put stretch. him in. Yeah, week four, Detroit. That Detroit game looks very promising. For a Justin. home game against Detroit if the Bears are yes. one and two or zero oh and three going into that game. Yeah, that's where Fields jumps in. So Robinson can still be around fifteen PPR points per game for those first three games, even week one against LA, even against Jalen Ramsey. You you drafted him early, you're going to start him. But maybe that number creeps up a little bit. Maybe he'll why? have an all-time high in Chicago in why? PPR points per game with but, Fields at quarterback. Uh, why? This is the thing. You're saying, oh, Justin Fields is going to lock on to his number one receiver. He already has that. He's got 150-plus targets two straight seasons. The question is, is Justin Fields going to be better than the crappy quarterbacks that Allen Robinson has played with in each of his last four, well, every year it's of his exactly career. what you're hoping for. That's but, the combo. I mean, it's not just that Keenan Allen got so much more volume. It's also that Justin Herbert was able to move the offense and get into scoring position more, so Keenan Allen had an all-time red zone role. But, but he, well, you're saying he was better than Phillip Rivers? At the end of Philip Rivers' career, without a doubt, Justin Herbert was more efficient as a I passer. Mean, maybe at the end of Philip Rivers' career, but not for much of Keenan Allen's you know, career with Phil Rivers, but I'm just saying, you know, how good is Justin Fields going to be as a rookie? That you can, he can be a Hall of Fame quarterback and be a bad rookie. That happens all the time, and it's a big question that we have to answer in fantasy because the rookie quarterbacks have been much better recently than ever before. I mean, Andrew Luck struggled as a rookie. Peyton Manning was terrible. You know, that's what happens. But Baker Mayfield wasn't, and. Obviously, Justin Herbert wasn't, and Joe Burrow was good enough. So can can Fields come out and do that? Can he be better than – can he throw for 4,000 yards? Or at least can he be on a 16-game well, pace of 4,000 yards? Because Allen Robinson has not had that since 2015. But I don't know that he can. He's a, he's a guy who's going to run the ball. And if you told me right now he's starting week one of a 16-game season, I would probably take the under on 4,000 passing yards. No Bears quarterback has ever thrown for 4,000 passing yards in a season. Like, in the no. history of the franchise. What? Yeah. Go look it up. Cutler never did it. No one's ever done it in Chicago. I think I, either one quarterback did with the Jets or no quarterback did with the Jets. Like, those are the two teams that just don't have 4,000-yard passers. 
And now that they're adding a game to the season, I think it's possible that it happens. Yeah, yeah. I'm just talking about the the pace, right? Right, right, right. So, so are the but, touchdowns going to go up? That's like that's the thing with Robinson. It, look, He's like everything a seven could go up. Guy. Last year, 69 percent of Robinson's yeah. targets were catchable. So that right. means that 30 percent of them were either over his head or you know lawn darts a foot in front of him. He couldn't do anything with them. The year before it was even worse than that. So we're banking on more catchable passes. If it, even if it gets to seventy five percent, Robinson's got great hands. He doesn't drop very many passes. Four drops the last two seasons. He's going to catch all that stuff. He's going to be great. So any upgrade there helps. And the volume, we already talked about it. You've already mentioned it. It should still be there for him. It, it, the it whole conversation is making me kind of more encouraged about drafting Allen Robinson in general. To be yeah. honest with you. All right. All right. Next up, Mike drop. Uh, let's go to our next one. Dave, if we're wrong about Travis Etienne being a stud, we think he's going to be great, you know, but we're drafting him conservatively. But Mm -hmm. if we're wrong about him, you know, being an impact player in year one, then? Then James Robinson is being massively underrated. And I think we might be able to say the same thing about the other pass catchers in Jacksonville. You know, we're talking about LaVisca Chenault, especially like short area guys. Chenault's that guy. Marvin Jones can do anything. Chark can do anything. So maybe it's more about Chenault than... Chenault and Robinson than it is about the other receivers there. But yeah, ETN, fun talent at Clemson, all-time leader in yards in the ACC, all that stuff. But what if he gets to the next level and he's just not quite as good? We know he's not going to be a finished product as a pass protector because he wasn't that at Clemson. I doubt he does that in the NFL. What if he's only getting three or four targets per game and only three or four carries per game? There, there's some uncertainty still with him. I, I, yes, he's a he's a playmaker. He's got great speed. He can juke defenders out of their cleats. All that stuff is true. But if he can't, it, it, we're coming off a year where a bunch of rookies had a hard time turning the page and getting to the NFL level and playing successfully right away at the NFL level. What if ETN is like that? And Robinson's got a nice schedule to begin the season. Week one against Houston, I think he's going to be a top 15. I, he's a startable running back for sure in that game. He might be able to not only fend off ETN, but take a little bit of that passing downs role away from ETN because he's a better blocker and he's not a bad receiver. And the Jaguars don't have to rush the rookie on the field. And if the rookie isn't ready, they definitely won't rush him on the field. Robinson's one of those guys that has started to make sense to me as a as a good running back target, maybe even as early as late round six. I'm completely in agreement with Dave on this one. For starters, I think in general, when you have these uncertain uh, backfields where it could be one guy, could be another guy, you take the guy at, at the you know who has the lower ADP, you take the value there. But also, I mean, something that I wanted to touch on, and I know Dave did most of the running back draft profiles, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but yeah. we have similar vision on these rookie running backs. We both felt, I believe, that Javante Williams and Najee Harris were in a tier above Travis Etienne, or at least that's how I felt, and I'm pretty sure based on reading your profile, Dave, you were in a similar boat there. Etienne is not a prospect who I think was you know, as good as where he was drafted. He is a one-cut-and-go guy, which is a nice fit for this system, but I don't think he's great at making uh, defenders miss in space. I don't think he's great at creating yards after contact, so I'm a little concerned in his profile there. And then I'll also say this. I mean, Urban Meyer has a history with Carlos Hyde. I'm not so sure Carlos Hyde is a complete nothing in this offense. I can see a weird scenario where we're in week six or seven. We're like, why is Carlos Hyde getting eight to ten carries a game? Why is he even five touches a game? Why is he on the field? And all those times where he's on the field is just another snap where BTN may not be on the field there. Well, that would be a crusher for everybody if Carlos Hyde ends up playing a lot. 
I mean, not that, a lot. Let's say it's just four eight to ten. It, that's yeah. too much. Eight for to ten is a little, a little too much. Let's say right. if like, he's playing eight to ten, then both running backs aren't doing yeah. what they're supposed to let's be doing. Four to six. I thought you were going to say that we've seen Carlos Hyde succeed in this offense, and we, you know, Zeke has done great in this offense when he's had that type of running back who can be physical and make guys miss and, you know, certainly have great vision. And that's Robinson's best strength of all. They, they get work. Yeah. Urban Myers talked about it. You know, he took a year off of coaching or a couple of years off coaching. And he's talked about how important it is to be able to run the football and run behind a well blocking offensive line. And Robinson could do that. And, I, I said that you could take him as early as late round six. Man, NFC ADP has him in early round six right now, like through the month of July. So people are starting to catch on to Robinson and saying, you know what? If, if you're looking for a running back that's got some upside that's either in the RB dead zone or just after the RB dead zone ends, here's one that can do it for you. This, he's he's going to be a running back that I start targeting whether as my second running back because I've loaded up at other positions or as my third running back because I've already got two running backs with my first five picks already. Would you take James Robinson over Javante Williams? I would for now. I would as well. Would you take him over Chase Edmonds? Yes. Yep. Mike Davis? No. Nope. All right. Okay. And I'm souring on Mike Davis, but I'm still not at that point. Let's take a break. We'll take a break. When we come back, we've got uh, Jared Goff. Well, it's not really about Goff. It's about um, the the good players on Detroit. Uh, Trey Lance and your suggestions on Twitter for this fun game. We'll see if we have time for your emails. And we have a Jeopardy apology, as I mentioned. So we'll be right back on Fantasy Football today. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Dan, let me apologize to you uh, in Fantasy Jeopardy. Really not to everybody. The integrity of the game matters so much. So, Dave, we had a category, players you may see at the zoo, and it didn't go well. But the, <laughs> the $200 answer was, of all the players whose name might have something to do with animals, he had the most catches in 2020. Do you know who it is? Of all the players whose names might have something to do with animals. He had the most catches in 2020. Okay, I don't know who that is. CeeDee Lamb. Who is CeeDee okay. Lamb? Okay. But an emailer, Ben, wrote, Adam, I hate to be that guy, but DK Metcalf is definitely the (laughs) (laughs) animal-related receptions leader. I'd have to agree with that. The whole game is moot, so everything that happened is void, null and void. Right. I'll have to inform Heath. This is Dan's way of getting out of losing Fantasy Jeopardy because no one wants to lose it. It's over. It's a draw. 
I'm gonna text Heath. He's out this week. But hey, dude, you you didn't win fantasy Jeopardy. After his fantasy his fantasy Jeopardy win has been vacated. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the Lions. Coach's a poor performance has been vacated. That's what's more important. Yes, very good. Congratulations, Schneier. Uh, all right, let's talk about the Lions. If Jared Goff collapses without Sean McVay in his ear, then no one will be surprised. Oh, you need me to read the rest of it, Dan? You still haven't gotten it? Uh, I know I got it up. Then people will regret drafting TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift at their ADP. Uh, yeah, so, okay. People will regret drafting Hawkinson and Swift if Goff collapses. I'm not even sure who their backup is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I have looking to, right now. Well, is it still uh, who is David Blau? That's what I was thinking, but I think we might be one. Blau season. is still on the roster. They've got Tim Boyle. I do not care. Eight. Let's talk Jesus. about. Let's talk about the crux of this here. I, it, you know. He's not. He's probably not going to play that well, but um, you know he's still going to throw the ball to his good players, and that's what people are banking on with Hawkinson and Swift. I just don't know. I mean, if an offense is that as bad as I think this offense could be with with Jared Goff at the helm, I know they have a good offense. They've improved their offensive line, though. They're still banking on a rookie who's converting positions and going from the left to right side, which I always think could lead to a bigger disaster than people foresee. But if this offense is as bad as it could be with Jared Goff, I just don't see too many scoring opportunities. I still am skeptical on if TJ Hawkinson, I know he's one of the Lions' better players, but how good he is in general. I remain the same about DeAndre Swift, who I was never high on as a prospect to begin with. And so I just feel like you're buying into a a bad offense and you're just saying these are the guys who are going to definitely get the volume. And when we bank completely on volume that we don't know for sure in a new offense that we haven't seen at all, like we haven't seen him, uh, Anthony Lynn run this offense yet. We're projecting it based on what he's done in the past. I don't know. It seems like a lot of ifs there. There's a lot of ifs with everybody in fantasy, though. There's there, there are no guarantees when it comes to fantasy football, seen. which is the offenses we've seen is all I'm saying. The the offense that I'm expecting to see. Mm-hmm. So I mean, this is you know we're just spitballing here, but Anthony Lynn definitely leans on his run game and likes to throw to his running backs. We've seen that element in L.A. Not that Anthony Lynn was calling the plays there, but former NFL running back former NFL running backs coach, not a lot of experience calling plays, but I, I think his bread and butter is going to be trying to take pressure off of Goff and utilizing that beefy offensive line. That's it, it makes perfect sense. I just don't know how often that game script will be available to them once you get to the middle of the third quarter because I, I think their defense is really going to be rough this year. I think that you will see Swift and Hawkinson be regular targets for Jared Goff, we saw Goff's average depth of throw drop each of the past three seasons. It was under five yards per throw this past year. That was in L.A. I, I have a hard time believing that Jared Goff is going to turn into the bravest quarterback ever going from L.A. to Detroit. And, you know, say what you I, I'm pretty sure the Rams coaching staff didn't have a lot of confidence in Goff. And obviously they didn't like him. Otherwise, they wouldn't have traded him after they signed him to such a huge deal. But the Lions, my guess is that they're just going to try and get through the season with Goff, and hopefully he doesn't burn them too many times, and yeah. he keeps them competitive in as many games as possible. I think you could see Hawkinson rack up targets. You're drafting him in PPR for the volume, for the catches, not because he's this amazing playmaker after the catch. 
He's a big guy in the red zone, a big target in the red zone. I expect that to be a factor. But I do think Swift is a playmaker. And I think Swift with the ball in his hands in space, and we will see that, that helps his profile. And I like him as a sturdy number two fantasy running back, especially in PPR. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the, the running back discussion is one thing, but for the tight ends, I just... This is a PPR thing with Hawkinson. I, I really don't get very excited about him at all in non-PPR and much less in half PPR, much less than I do in full PPR. I just just think it's going to be about targets, and I think that is by far the most important thing for tight ends because it's such a crappy position. And so I went back and I looked at the top five tight ends each of the last five years. There are 25 of them, in <laughs> obviously. <laughs> uh, in full PPR... Of the 25 tight ends that finished in the top five last five seasons, 10 of them were on top six offenses. Nine of them were on offenses that ranked 10th through 20th in scoring. And six of them were on offenses that ranked outside the top 20. So yeah, look, it's always better to be on a good offense. No question. I don't think Hawkinson has any chance, really, of course, <laughs> yep, to, right. to be tight end two. You know, I don't think he's going to be Waller. I don't think he's going to make that jump. But um, I definitely see a path to top five just on targets alone. And I thought that was kind of striking to me that quality of offense didn't really matter that much. It hasn't really mattered uh, that much. Like, there were two tight ends last year that finished top five on, a, on offenses that ranked 25th and 20th in scoring. Um, so just a trend I, I noticed with tight ends. I don't think that, I don't, for me, it's not about, like, is there a path to top five? I think there's clearly a path to top five. I'm just saying for the tight end position specifically, I'm not really worried about getting somebody who's going to finish tight end five, six, seven. I want to make sure they're going to be a difference maker at that position. That is a difference maker, though, because there's only mm-hmm. five, six, seven good ones every year. That So I but agree with you. The range, if they're not going to get to that wall or Kittle range where they're a difference maker in your lineup every week, if they're just giving you two or three fantasy points, more fantasy points per week, is that worth you know, potentially getting that wide receiver or running back in that same round who could ultimately be a bigger difference maker at that, you know overall right. in your round? That's a fair point, but I think fantasy managers value with a tight end that they don't have to think about yes. making a start-sit decision with. And I think Hawkinson qualifies as that guy. I think Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts qualify as those guys as well, which is why they're all in that same tier for me. But I, I think everybody who drafts Hawkinson is assuming that he will be a reliable starter week in and week out. Last year, last year, 10.4 PPR points per game. We're looking for 11 PPR points per game from a tight end. Sure. So, so he disappointed a little bit there, but he did have at least nine PPR points in 12 of 16 games. So he was really close to being even more solid than he was a point away here and there. And his target share last year was at 17%. I think that goes up this year. I've said this before. I think he's one of the four to six tight ends that have a shot at getting 120 targets this year. All right, guys. Yeah, that's, uh, we, all, that's a lot. We got that's a lot, lot of a lot to get to here. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to save a couple of these for FFT and five. Uh, no, we already we uh, we can't do that. You want to save mine? No, I we'll say you know we'll save one of each. So Dan had a, a Dan had an Antonio Brown one. Dave had a uh, Sam Darnold one. It was really more of a DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson one. We'll right. save those for another time. Let's finish with this. We talked about the. Justin Fields to Allen Robinson effect. What you fill in the blank. If Trey Lance takes over early in the season, then George Kittle blank. Remains a top three fantasy tight end. 
mine will be seasons. I, I go on the other route. I think he'll be a little less valuable with Trey Lance as the quarterback. Why? So I think that, and Shanahan has talked about this in the past, what he really wants is a quarterback who can give him the opportunity to run a little bit more zone read and a little bit more RPO game. Mm-hmm. And running zone read and RPO, because that's what he did in Washington. He's not going to make it the staple of the offense like he did with RG3, but he's going to want to mix it in and use it as a package that will keep defenses on their heels, et cetera. And when you're running RPO or zone read, when you're running RPO, the read is the X. So you're either going to keep the ball as the quarterback run it, hand it off, or throw it to that quick slant, that quick in-breaking route to the X receiver. So that's not kill. And then if you're keeping the ball or you're handing it to your running back, if you're reading the defense is dropping into coverage, then that's just another rushing attempt. So I just think overall the offense will look a lot different with him at quarterback, and it will be a lot more X receiver or running back or quarterback carrying the ball. Couldn't they line up Kittle as the X receiver and have him run that route? They could, but I think they're probably feeling comfortable with Ayuk in that role. But you're right, they could definitely – move Kittle out there, flex him out there, and have him run that role. They could honestly do that with anybody. They can do that with Kittle, Ayuk, Samuel. The only uh, thing you lose there, though, is in the zone read game, you're you're banking on having that extra blocker in the run game mm-hmm. for one less defender, and Kittle's one of the best run blockers at tight end in the game, so you're taking him out of that role if you flex him out. So the, the first thing I think about with Lance is that I think he'll take touchdowns away from everybody just in general because of his rushing prowess. He'll run for some scores, but Kittle's never been a huge touchdown scorer to begin with. Mm-hmm. And the other question is just how many more targets would he get? I think he'd see a drop in targets on a per-game basis with Lance under center than what we've seen in the past, but I still think he'd be really good for fantasy. Yeah, and if you just want to take it from the approach of will their passing game be better or worse – with Trey Lance, you do the same exercise that we did with Allen Robinson. The last four quarterbacks that Allen Robinson is, or team quarterbacks that Allen Robinson has had, none of them have thrown for 4,000 yards, like the team. Um, now that you have to raise the bar because that happens every year for San Francisco. Three of the last four years under Shanahan, it's been 4,200 or more yards. The one exception was the Super Bowl year where they were so run heavy. They only threw for 4,029 yards, but that was the only year they've had a really great defense in that stretch. So can Trey Lance be a 40? And this is all based on 16 games. I just, that's what I'm still using because I think it's the easiest conceptually. Can he be a 42 to 4,300 yard passer? Trey Lance, a guy who's got that better rushing ability than Justin Fields. I seriously doubt that. And the touchdowns are higher for San Francisco than they are for Chicago. They've been 25 to 28 passing touchdowns three straight seasons. Only 15 passing touchdowns four years ago, but three straight seasons of 25-28. So I think if you're just, I think it's a bigger downgrade offensively for the Niners just in terms of the passing game numbers, the raw numbers, if they go to the rookie quarterback, then for the Bears. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, yeah, 100%. In that Niners defense, let's not forget, they're getting back a lot of players who were placed on IR early in the season. So if that defense returns to anywhere close to where they were in their Super Bowl season, they're going to run the ball a lot more in general. Right. Okay, and that is it for the analyst version of this game. Let's see what we said on Twitter. Uh, if this, if blank happens, then blank. Ooh, we got twenty-seven responses. That's good. Okay, let's see. If Matt Ryan has another season with forty-five plus hundred yards and twenty-five plus touchdowns, then Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley will finish top three at their positions. Sure. No. Sounds about no. Yeah. Mm. Again, that's not a that's not enough. Forty five hundred yards and twenty five touchdowns. That's not enough. How much was it? Forty five and what? Twenty five. Plus. Twenty. Well, twenty. Yeah, you'd say thirty plus. I think to get that going. I mean, he's always been a guy who's really spread it around. 
if you think about the touchdowns, you know. Especially because Julio Jones has never really been a great red zone receiver, so he hasn't dominated those. Yeah. Well, defense has tried to take him away. That too. So Matt Ryan didn't throw quite as often as we would have liked. Okay. Okay, here we go from Daniel. <laughs> if A different Daniel with a different opinion. If Ryan Fitzpatrick tosses enough picks and gets benched, then none of the Washington players will meet their current draft value. I'm not so sure. I mean, yeah, to an extent, but I just don't think they were getting much better quarterback play last year from Alex Smith and, and Kyle Allen. I just didn't I didn't see it. I watched a lot of those games and I saw a few of those on all twenty two. And that offense was really held back by Alex Smith. It was not mm-hmm. operating. They were forced to play Alex Smith. They thought. I mean, Haneke should have played a lot earlier, clearly. And I think if he comes in, if Fitzpatrick gets benched, I thought he showed a little bit during that playoff game. He moved the offense yeah. better than what Alex Smith did or Kyle Allen. And in the regular season game, I don't remember if it was week 16 or 17, but when he came in, he actually did some good stuff. Yeah. So I actually, I'm going to disagree with this. And it might sound like I'm saying what I was completely, you know, saying the complete opposite of earlier. I was like, I don't know how I can buy in all these players, but... I think personally, the CBS people like Curtis Samuel more than the drafters do. So I think that his ADP at 97 overall, even for someone I'm not really that high on Curtis Samuel, I still really like that ADP. And McLaurin is a mid third round pick, and he's awesome. He's been great, you know, so far in his career with bad quarterback play. So. I do think that even if Fitzpatrick gets benched, these guys could meet their ADP. I just think it probably hurts their upside. Yeah. yeah. All right. right. Uh, from Fady Dizzle, if the Jets' offensive system hype is real, they will have three wide receivers usable in PPR formats in 12-team leagues. No, I have a hard time seeing that. Yeah, that I, that's... A little too crazy there. I mean, I, I like the general premise here that if that's mm-hmm. working at its best, especially with the Jets defense still probably a year away, there's going to be a lot of pass-heavy game scripts coming. But that seems like a lot, for especially for a rookie quarterback. You'd get one per week with some weeks getting two. I don't think every week you're going to see Davis Crowder and Elijah Moore just you know go off. But one yeah. of them each week should get you at least 10 PPR points. I mean, it might be consistently Davis. We've seen it from him earlier in his yeah. career where he's just got that safe floor of 10 to 12. It's so weird. It, if, yeah. if Zach Wilson had been drafted by a different franchise, do you think people would be more would be more excited about him? I think they should be if he were. I mean, he was my favorite quarterback prospect in this draft. I, I thought Lawrence wow. was the best player you should take, but Wilson was the one I saw with the most upside and at the and you know I was high on him all the way back in September that kind of arm talent you don't you don't have you don't see often but when he got drafted to the Jets I, I soured a bit because I've just growing up in this area and living here most of my life it's just I think he's gonna struggle with the New York media I'm gonna start by saying that I don't want to go too deep into that narrative but yeah right. when you start to struggle they're gonna get on you hard and there's gonna be articles there's gonna be all sorts of things thrown right at you and so we'll see what happens there but it wasn't the landing spot i was hoping for okay uh from david russell if cam Akers wins the lottery and retires daryl henderson becomes an <laughs> rb1 <laughs> no i i i can't say that that's gonna happen no, because i just i just have of the hunch that that coaching staff doesn't want to lean on henderson unless yeah. they have to so if if Akers wins the lottery 
and retires, Henderson will still share. He'd be like a middle-of-the-pack number two fantasy running back as long as he's on the field, but he wouldn't get the type of work that I think they're hoping to give Akers. Okay. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong on this because it might just be a bad memory I have. It's been a while since the fantasy season, but wasn't Anderson a little bit hurt down the stretch when Akers mm-hmm. take So Henderson was hurt down the stretch when Akers took over that workhorse role. And what we do know is before that, earlier in the season, McVay spent a lot of time last offseason talking up how he learned a lot from Shanahan. And we know they're good buddies because they've been on podcasts. They're clearly like friends off the field. He learned they a lot together for years. Yeah, they worked together for years. He learned a lot about using multiple backs. And so Henderson was hurt down the stretch when they did decide to lean more heavily on Akers. I still just can't get out of my head that he's going to use Henderson this season a little bit more than people expect. He's a talented running back, and they drafted him not as high. I mean, they didn't use as much draft capital, but he looked good last year when he was healthy, Henderson. He so did. I'm not as old as everyone else that he's just going to be a nothing in this offense. It's an interesting question. Um, he, he did play pretty well. And, uh, you know, you heard Emery Hunt, who's a former running back and scouts yeah. all the time for a living. I, he thinks that Henderson's a more explosive player. He's not. I don't feel like he really buys into Cam Akers. You've heard Chris talk about the advanced metrics aren't super kind to Cam Akers. It's true. So it's an interesting yeah. take. All right, uh, let's do one more. Like him. They gave him at least 15 carries in each of the last six games last year. And Henderson was around for some of them. From Mark, if Taysom Hill wins the starting job, Michael Thomas will not be a top 20 receiver in non-PPR? So, for me, top 20, he's still it's still the same offense. They're still running that Sean Payton offense that's going to funnel through Michael Thomas in the passing game. Yeah, that'd be pretty big. He can throw a 7 to 10-yard slant, Taysom Hill. Come on. Yeah, And out routes, too. I would say he'd finish somewhere between 15th and 20th in non-PPR. It's not, I agree, yeah. I'm not saying he's going to be a wide receiver one, but outside the top 20. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's read some emails real quick here, guys, from from uh, from Tyler at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. 12-team full PPR league, two-keeper league. Which two should I keep? Dalvin Cook in the first, Hopkins in the second, Ridley in the fourth, Waller in the fifth. Full PPR. And, and, and do we know where he's picking? Because mm. that matters for Cook. If he's got a late first-round pick, no, then no, it has not been keeper. set. It has not been set. We need to know where he's picking. In general, with these, like I want to lean toward Ridley and Waller for the value, but I feel mm-hmm. like if you do that and you don't take one, keep one of these running backs. It's one of those drafts where every running back, good running back, is capped, and now you're like in round one and two, and your running back depth is going to be awful, and you're going to be chasing all season there. So, based on all that, without us knowing where this pick is and everything like that, I'm going to go Cook and Waller here. Waller's a must if the pick is going to be a top three or four pick then you can throw Cook back and figure to get a running back close to him. Right. And then you can keep Ridley. But if that first round pick is five, six, seven, and on down the line, I think you got to keep Dalvin. Okay. Throw back Ridley. From Jeff and Topeka, subject line, Daniel Jones for Heisman. Dear Tyler, Jordy, Darren, and Bill. Tyler, Jordy, Darren, um, Packers receivers, right? Kansas, Kansas no. State football ah. greats. Oh, yeah. Jordy went to Kansas City, Kansas State. Oh, yeah. uh, Darren Sproles, Sproles went there. It's got to be Tyler Lockett. Bill Snyder. Tyler Lockett. Yep. Good call. And the okay. coach. Bill Snyder. Yeah, it's got to be. Uh-huh. All right. I'm considering doing something I've never heard discussed before, probably because it's stupid. I have the 10th <laughs> pick in a half PPR league. I am, I am considering taking Kelsey and Waller back to back. 
And his argument is that Waller basically performed, they both performed well enough to be drafted there last year. And then you've got, you know, you're depleting the tight end pool. Um, so we get this question every single year about taking two elite tight ends. And every year I hate the idea. What do you guys think about Kelsey, especially in half PPR? Kelsey and Waller, um, 10th and then uh, 15th. Yeah, I hate it unless you can fall into it on draft day where one of the tight ends is just an insanely good value. Doing it with back-to-back picks is it, it's hurting yourself more than helping yourself. Be yeah. different if it's a tight end premium. Be different if it was a smaller league. But I I just if you're getting Waller in round four for some miracle yeah, miraculous is, reason, then don't sure that's fine. But bad idea. Not back to back picks. No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah, Dave nailed it. Even if you're getting Waller on the comeback in round three, that's still good value, I think, at the end of round three, but early round two, no. Uh real quick, guys, who do you like better? Noah Fant or Dallas Goddard? Dozier wants to know. Goddard. I'm on Goddard for sure there. And then we're definitely going to end with this one from Dominico. Subject line, Danny Dimes, top five. (laughs) But this one's actually about Daniel Jones. That's how you get your email opened. But I believe that Daniel Jones and Kenny Galladay are going to be this year's Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. I'm calling it now. Giants 2021-2022 Super Bowl champs. Offense and defense are going to turn it on. This email you (laughs) said was from Danny? It's not from me. Not, is this from you, Dan? No, it's not from me. So you're going to hear a completely different take from me. Go I don't think they have a chance it. of being Diggs and, and and Allen. So, I mean, I guess I'll jump in. I, I would be not, There would be nothing better for me in life than if this came true. But unfortunately, and this has been a common thread on Giants Twitter all offseason, this idea that Daniel Jones can take a Josh Allen-esque jump as if no one – is at all thinking about their arm talent whatsoever and the passes that Josh Allen can complete versus what Daniel Jones can. But I just don't see it. And a lot of the thing, the reason why that will never happen fantasy-wise is because of the coordinators there. Jason Garrett wants to go through a run-first offense. He wants this offense to be conservative, slow in pace, running the ball early and often with a lot of two, uh, 12 personnel, two tight ends on the field. The Bills offense coordinator, Brian Dable, is the complete opposite. They asked him this offseason, do you want to be more balanced? And Because he was one of the most pass-heavy uh, coordinators in the yeah. NFL. He's like, no, I don't want to be more balanced. I just want to be more efficient when I do decide to run the ball. Because he's well aware that the, on the NFL average, you average, what, almost two times as many yards passing the ball as running the ball. So the op- it's always better to pass the ball. So just the offenses, Daniel Jones versus Josh Allen, this this is not happening. <laughs> if, if, if there were stats out there to help this case, it would be that when he was in Dallas calling plays, this isn't the entire time that Jason Garrett was in Dallas, but only when he was calling plays, he had at least one 1,000-yard receiver and one wideout with at least eight touchdowns in five of six seasons. The one year they didn't have a 1,000-yard guy, they had two receivers with 850 yards. The one year they didn't have an eight-score guy, they had two receivers with at least six touchdowns. I think if he were more comfortable with the passing game, we'd see more downfield shots. And say what you will about Jones, but last year his adjusted completion rate on deep throws was 51.2%, better than 50%, eighth best among quarterbacks in the NFL last year. On short throws, these shallow tosses that he had, his adjusted completion rate was 77.7%. That was 37th best among quarterbacks. Yeah. So but, he but seemed Evan to get the job done on half. longer throws, but on shorter <laughs> throws, that's where he needs to really. <laughs> Evan, Ingram, Evan Ingram dropped half of those short throws, just, just to be fair. 
Um, no, it's adjusted completion rate. So nah, drop nah, passes don't count against uh, Johnson. Dave, Dave nailed something there that is important. Like as far as his offense goes, Jason Garrett's offense traditionally, and he showed in 2021, he's not willing to change too much with the times. It was mostly what the system we saw in Dallas back in the early 2010s, it runs through a big X receiver. And that's what, that's why they got Galladay. That's why they went out and got him. There's going to be a ton of targets falling through him. But as Dave said, Daniel Jones is going to have to get a lot better in the short area from an accurate mm-hmm. standpoint for that to matter. Yeah. He wasn't great right. on intermediate throws either. It was a right. two thirds uh, percentage adjusted completion rate. Not two thirds. Two thirds of the throws were connected. And that was, I think right around the middle of the pack. We hit our Daniel Jones quota. Thank you, everybody. Okay, for Dan Schneier and Dave Richard and Ben Schrager, I'm Adam Azer. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the crazy eight, the eight, the eight toughest players to rank in fantasy football with Liz Loza joining us. Uh, always a great guest. That should be an awesome episode. Talk to you then. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.